Welcome to the Fit Mom MD podcast. Today, Jenny helps us understand the COVID-19 pandemic and what things we can do to protect ourselves, our family, and our community. there, it's Jenny Hobbs, Fit Mom MD, and this week I'm going to talk with you about the novel coronavirus or COVID-19, which I'm sure you've been hearing about in the news. I'm sure you have a ton of questions, you're wondering what to believe, what's good information, should you be anxious, should you be traveling? So I just want to provide a little bit of good information for you from my perspective. Before I go into that, I just want to mention a couple of things. The first thing is that I am a medical doctor. I completed my uh, medical doctor training, then I went on to do a residency in internal medicine. I've been practicing for 10 years since that time. I do take care of sick, hospitalized inpatients here in the Seattle area. I have taken care of patients who have COVID-19. I probably will be seeing many more in the weeks to come. So I have good experience on that front. However, I typically do steer clear of specific medical topics like this. Uh, And the reason is because this business venture that I do is really not about the specifics of medicine. So so typically when I'm sharing with you, I'm talking about ways that women can take control of their nutrition, their fitness, their time, their mindset, work on relationships, communication. Um, That's really what this is all about. And it's really separate from my clinical work. So I typically just kind of don't talk about medical things, but I think in this day and age with um, with the amount of misinformation that gets spread and the amount of potential risk to the community, if we believe the misinformation, I think it's important that I at least share with you some good, reliable information uh, from the medical side. So uh, with that moral imperative in mind, I am kind of breaking with uh, my usual practice. And so I do need you to understand a couple things. One is that I am not infectious disease specialist trained. So I have a lot of experience with this type of medicine. However, this is not my sub-subspecialty. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing you need to realize is that I'm not speaking to you as your personal physician providing medical advice. You need to talk to your own doctor for that. Um, The third thing is that I'm not speaking as a representative of my hospital or my employer. So they are not you know, funding this. They are not necessarily condoning this. This is simply my perspective as an informed physician with some clinical experience, trying to share to the best of my ability to provide good information to the community at large. I do think we have a moral imperative to have good information out there um, at a time like this. And I think I'm in a good position to provide that. So So please understand those things. Please also understand this disease is rapidly evolving um, in terms of what we know about it. It's a new disease. We're getting new information all the time. So even as I share with you now, what I'm saying could become obsolete very quickly. So I'll do my best to give you good information here, but please recognize that this is a situation that's constantly changing um, and there may be updates in the future. Okay, so first of all, what is this novel coronavirus and how is it different than any other virus? So coronavirus actually refers to a class of viruses. Um, Most of them cause the common cold, not a big deal. They just kind of attack your your nasal passages, you get a sore throat, runny nose, and then it runs its course. This particular novel coronavirus actually has a new ability, which is to very strongly attack your lungs. And because of that, you can get very severe pneumonia from this one, which is not typical of the others, okay? Um, This has happened before. So if you remember hearing about SARS or MERS in the news, those were also part of the category of coronaviruses that mutated to make people very sick. Um, Coronaviruses are separate from influenza, which is the virus that actually causes the flu that you hear about. So this novel coronavirus um, 
mutated and started causing disease in China starting at the end of December. Um, and we've noticed since then, you know, all of these characteristics I mentioned with severe pneumonia. We've named that disease that happens when you get this particular virus, COVID-19. And so COVID-19 is very specifically directed at this particular virus, whereas the term coronavirus is sort of more uh, generic, although you'll see it used interchangeably a lot of times in the news. All right, so the next big question is, well, what's the big deal? Is this just like a, any other cold virus and we're just, you know, sort of overblowing it? Is this just like the flu? Is this is the flu more deadly and we're, you know, diverting our energy um, over to COVID-19 when should we, we should still be talking about the flu, et cetera? So I wanted to tackle this question because this is so common. Now, here's the thing. When you hear the term flu is more deadly, what people are talking about is that there are more people who died from the flu than have died from COVID-19. There's more people who have died from lots of things than have died from COVID-19, okay? So the absolute number of deaths, people who've died, is smaller for COVID-19 than flu. But the other thing you have to look at is how many people who get the disease die from it. So the flu is so common that we have millions and millions of cases, and only 0.1% of the people who get the flu die from the flu. So your chances of dying if you get it are quite low. Whereas with COVID, um, now this data is evolving and changing as we get numbers from different countries, and it depends on a lot of factors, but the original estimate was 3.4% death rate. Okay, so 3.4% versus 0.1% for flu. We have had some estimates that go lower, down to 2%, 1%. Um, South Korea is testing their entire population, even people who are um, very minimally or almost asymptomatic, so they have a big pool. Um, and so they're getting a death rate that's even lower because as you make the pool of testing bigger, the death rate gets lower, okay? So the 3.4% for COVID-19 death rate was probably an overestimate. I would think that the 0.6% maybe is on the lower end, maybe an underestimate, but the average people think it's about one to 2% of people die from this, okay? So the flu kills 0.1% of people who get it. The coronavirus kills one to 2% of those who get it, more or less. So that is a huge difference. So that is higher risk. The other very concerning thing is that that one to 2% number is all comers, so all ages. And we actually know that over age 60, your risk goes up and up and up and up and up. So people over age 60, their risk of dying from COVID-19 is around 10 to 15 plus percent, okay? Or people who are immunosuppressed also have very high risk. So sure, if you're not... 75, you're otherwise healthy, most likely you'll get a mild virus, you'll be at home, you'll be fine. The problem is that you may be silently transmitting for two to 14 days your virus to someone who will get sick and die, okay? Um, and that's the concern is because it is so deadly um, for certain populations and it does have a higher death rate than the flu. The other concern is that um, we don't have a vaccine like we do for the flu, um, and we don't have treatment. So people are, you know, there's all this controversy about vaccines, but the, getting the flu vaccine means that if you do get the flu, you do better, you're less likely to die. That's part of why that flu death rate is so low, it's because people are vaccinated. Um, and even if you yourself aren't vaccinated, everybody else around you getting vaccinated also decreases your risk. You also have partial immunity to the flu because you've been getting exposed to it over the years each flu season. This is a brand new virus, so we don't have that partial immunity. We don't have the vaccine to bring down your risk. We don't have the group herd immunity to bring down your risk because we're all new to it, okay? And the flu, we actually do have a couple of treatments that we can do to try to decrease your disease um, burden as well. 
we don't have any treatments for coronavirus. We're doing studies, but we don't have anything, okay? So the concern is you have this disease that's sort of spreading silently. You're very asymptomatic, very mild. Lots of people are doing just fine. And then um, all of a sudden you get sick and you've now spread it to all these people. And then if you are one of the people who is older and sicker, then you have a very high mortality rate. The other thing that you should know which gets often glossed over in these news articles, is that we do absolutely have 30, 40, 50 year old people who are not particularly unhealthy who are on ventilators from this disease. We do have that in the US, we have, it's been described elsewhere, okay? Young healthy doctors, etc. Um, I have seen people who maybe have like borderline high blood pressure or borderline obesity who are 40 years old who are needing a ventilator to breathe. It does happen. So yes, it's not the most common thing, but we have to remember that this is a real threat and it's something that we do need to take seriously so that we don't continue to spread it to others. And that's why it's a big deal to us. That's one reason. I'll tell you another reason in a second. So the other reason that this is a very concerning illness is that people might be doing okay for, you know, few days and then all of a sudden they get very sick and they require a ventilator. And that's a low percentage of patients. Again, it's like I think two to five percent. But those patients then require the ventilator often for several weeks. And so if you think about it, if we're spreading this disease to all these people when we don't know it, okay, and some percentage of those people get very sick and they end up in the hospital and the hospital fills up with patients and then the ventilators start getting taken one by one by patients who are sitting on there for two to three weeks in order to live and you get very sick with respiratory failure, we may not have a ventilator available for you. Our ventilators, our ICU beds are a limited resource in this country. And so even though you yourself may only get a cold and stay home, remember that your whole community is counting on you to prevent us from overloading the system all at once. So every step we can take to avoid spreading this disease uh, unknowingly allows us to flatten out that curve so we're not having a huge surge of cases all at once to where people can't get on the ventilator because we don't have them available. And this isn't a theoretical thing. This is actually happening in Italy right now. So they're a few weeks ahead of us with this. They tried to stop the virus with sort of less restrictive measures. And um, now they are basically at a point where they don't have enough ventilators and they have to choose who gets one. Um, the doctors have to pick who they're going to save. And we do not want to be in that position. You don't want your grandparents or your 50-year-old friend who has hypertension to be in that position. So we all have to work together to tamper down the spread. So yes, the absolute number of deaths may not be that high. The absolute number of cases may not look that high because we aren't testing all the people who have it because we don't have enough tests to go around. But that doesn't mean this is not deadly. And that doesn't mean that this isn't going to get more and more deadly over the next few weeks. Uh, the Italian doctor Doctors are saying they're essentially in crisis mode 24-7 um, and it's the, the reports are very dire. And so while you might be fine, um, we do not want to have our community in that position. And to be frank, some people are feeling like it might already be too late um, because we have been <laughs> passing it around for the last couple of weeks and we've all been feeling okay or just having a mild cough. And so we haven't been containing ourselves um, adequately. So I know I'm piling on the bad news here. I really don't want you to panic, but I want to get through all this so you understand the importance of this disease, and then we'll talk about what you can do to help. So um, the other thing that you need to know is that this is transmitted by you know sneezing, coughing, drop large droplets being out in the air, and then someone else inhales them, or by you putting your hand in your mouth, your nose, something like this, and then touching someone else, and then they put their hand in their mouth or their nose, or a big way we think is also by me having the virus on my hands and then touching 
um, some sort of inanimate object. And studies show that this virus does live on objects for up to seven to nine days potentially. Um, so we really have to think about how much we may be exposing people and it's not just in the few hours after we touch something but potentially for days. So getting back to how this is spreading um, and spreading quietly when we don't even realize it. So a couple pieces of good news before I go on to what we can do um, as a community. The first good piece of good news is that um, actually, children don't seem to get very sick with this illness at all. Um, so in the Chinese report, there were 44,000 cases and only 400 of them were in children and none of them were severe cases and they, there have been essentially zero deaths in kids. Now, again, these things are changing minute by minute. I'm sure some kids who are immunosuppressed uh, may die from this, but the disease in children is much, much less severe and um, really impressively not requiring ventilators or um, dying from this. So that's a really good piece of news. Um, of course, there's always the concern that the kids have these mild cold uh, symptoms and they're passing it around unknowingly, uh, maybe contributing to the problem, but kids themselves don't seem to be at very high risk at all. The other question a lot of people ask is about pregnant women. And so um, at this point, pregnant women, uh, again, do not appear to be at any increased risk. Um, however, <laughs> You know, in the case of a pregnant woman, we would say better safe than sorry. So if you are pregnant, be especially cautious, consider working from home, consider staying away from anyone with fever or cough. Um, definitely take all those extra precautions because we are still getting data on this disease and we certainly wouldn't want you to be at additional risk. But the data so far does not show any increased risk for pregnant women. Now this is in stark contrast to the flu, which is actually higher risk in kids and pregnant women. Um, so that's a, a big difference um, and a very unusual one that scientists are looking into. All right, so now that we kind of understand what we're dealing with and why it matters, um, let's talk about what you can do. So as you've heard, you need to wash your hands, do a thorough job, at least 20 seconds, get all surfaces. There's lots of videos online about that. That's the first thing. Number two, minimize your contact with other people. So um, don't go to, if you have a party or something planned for like more than a few people, just cancel it, reschedule it. It's not worth the risk. Absolutely, if you have any fever, any tickle in your throat, any body aches, any cough, stay home. Don't go to these events either. So you're not exposing yourself to other people. Of course, um, Make sure that you're working from home if you're able, making meetings electronic instead of in person if you can, cancel any non-essential travel. So airplanes we know are a really big source of these uh, this virus getting transmitted. And it's, even if you might go on a plane, enjoy your awesome vacation and only have a mild cold as a result, that's not thinking about the potential impact to all the people that you interact with um, on both ends of the trip. If you do decide to go on your trip anyway, be sure that you isolate yourself from elderly parents, um, anyone who's immunosuppressed, and be very cautious about that. Um, along those lines, minimizing interaction with elderly parents, like if your kids have a cold or you have a cold so that you're not incidentally spreading this to them would be a great idea. Um, when you see people, try not to shake hands, um, but you know, do other things, <laughs> like people talk about like the elbow bump or whatever, um, but try to keep your distance. A few feet from each person is a great idea. Um, we don't exactly know how many feet this thing travels, but we do know that if you have those droplets in the air and they get inhaled, that can be problematic. Um, the other thing that you can think about doing is like if you're coming up to an elevator button, you know, using a knuckle instead of a finger, um, anything like that. Um, and of course, washing hands very frequently, um, being careful not to touch your nose, your mouth, um, and then, you know, transmitting that to others. Um, 
it's easier said than done, I know, but these are actually great measures that can help prevent, um, decrease the spread of influenza and other illnesses as well. So it's a good reminder um, on that front. The other thing that you can do is if you feel sick, so you have a fever, you have a cough, um, but you're kind of mildly ill, um, recognize that going into your doctor's office is unlikely to help and may actually be harmful. So um, we don't have a treatment that we can offer. And in most parts of the country, we are not able to test you if you have mild disease as an outpatient. This may change as we get more tests available, but um, if you suspect you have coronavirus and your symptoms are mild, in most cases, you should stay home. Um, you can call your doctor, review, review your symptoms, make sure that they don't want to see you. But, um, and obviously if you're immunosuppressed or things like that, again, you need to talk to your own doctor. But um, here's the thing. If you go in, you're simply spreading those germs potentially with the entire office, the staff, the, the um, anything you touch, anyone else who may be sick in the waiting room. Um, and again, it's not going to result in any change in your treatment because we don't have any specific treatments that we can offer, okay? Now that's if your disease is mild. Now I'm not telling you if you feel like you can't breathe, your fevers are you know, uh, never ending, you're having a lot of pain, you know, you're very weak, you're falling, any of that kind of stuff, you need to go into the hospital, likely the emergency department, maybe a walk-in clinic if you're just not sure you're quite that sick. Um, but we do know that people get very sick with this. And so if you're not getting better by just resting and isolating yourself at home, then you do need to go, you know, go in and be taken care of. And that's what we're there for, um, is to help you uh, support your breathing through that time. Uh, but again, mild disease, you know, coming to the clinic is, is likely just spreading it to more people and not improving your outcomes. Whereas if you're getting sicker and sicker and not breathing, then you need to get in there so that we can take care of you and monitor you and hopefully give you, give you a good outcome uh, by supporting you through that illness. So I hope that that makes sense. Um, let me think if there's any other tips I can provide for you before I go. Okay, I did think of one more thing. Don't go to the gym. I know this sounds crazy. I'm a health and fitness coach. I, I love working out. I love those group fitness classes, spin class, whatever. But now is a good time to take a break from that, okay? It's just there's too much potential for transmission in those spaces, even with trying to clean the machines. And so I really encourage you to find alternate ways to exercise. Please do exercise. Please eat healthy. Please do what you can to manage your own stress level and your own health. Um, go out and go for a run. Do a workout at home like the ones that I do. But um, take a break from, from those group activities because it does make a difference. And I think in, in summary, that's kind of what I want to tell you is I know this sounds scary. I know it sounds like, oh, maybe I need to panic. Um, but the, the honest truth is that most of us will be fine. Most of us will get a mild cold or you know not be infected at all. Um, but in order to affect those numbers, I talked about the, the rate of people who die from this once they get it and the number of people that this spreads to, we can do our part. So we can you know, take the, cancel the party, we can postpone our travel, um, we can do those things so that our hospitals can keep the death rates down and have enough capacity for everyone and so that we don't keep spreading it so, so quickly to so many people. So you absolutely do have control of that. Um, I, you know, as a physician, I often run into scenarios where I don't know the future, um, it's a little scary, it's, you know, uh, I'm hoping for the best, but I know that, it, you know, things could get worse. Um, and what I do is I simply control what I can control and I, and I try not to panic. Okay. 
okay, so I take care of myself and I control the controllable and I keep hoping for the best, but I also am realistic and I listen to the data coming in and I adjust. Just like how I thought this wasn't that big of a deal back in January and now I do, um, I learn from information and I move forward. So I hope that this is giving you what you need to do that as well. I would love to know if you have other questions about COVID-19 or if you found this helpful. Um, I would be happy to do another video to answer anything else that comes up. And, you know, to be honest, I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that the predictions are wrong and that we aren't like Italy and that, um, you know, at some point in the future, you look back at this video and say that I was totally overreacting um, or that I over overstated the death rate and all those things. I hope that's absolutely true, but let's do our part to make sure that that's the case. So with that, thanks so much for your time and attention. Let me know if you find this helpful and uh, stay safe and healthy out there. Thanks for listening to the FitMomMD podcast. You can find out more at FitMomMD.com. Subscribe to our podcast to see what Jenny has in store for us next week.